You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get a 15% off your next order. I mean, how would you assess those 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 plays where, you know, you may pick up an offensive foul in the game. I've seen it, but to have like, I think, was it four tonight, three or four? What, what was going on with that, what you feel? Um, just no respect. Exploring a dud here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation and Dime Magazine. You can also, most importantly, follow our show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can tell me why the refs have it out for the Suns. I do not understand it. That's what we're going to dig into today. 99-86 loss by the Suns at the hands of the Boston Celtics. Second night of a back-to-back after a very physical and emotional game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Devin Booker in foul trouble all night. Finishes with just 26 minutes. Indeed does foul out. And you see everybody else basically has to pick up the slack. The Suns were playing to win this game. Monty did ride his guys. Um, but the the fouls and the, the inability to gain a rhythm coupled with a monster Kemba Walker night put the Suns at a disadvantage. They lost the game um, after really dominating the Celtics at home just a couple of months ago. Very different result tonight with similar guys out. No Jalen Brown for the Celtics and um, a little bit of a different supporting cast than they had in the past, but it was the Tatum and Kemba show in Phoenix a couple months ago and the Suns handled them easily. Tonight, not the case. So we'll get into Kemba's big night. We'll get into the trickle-down effect here of of uh, Jay Crowder not playing and, and what could happen there. Uh, not the best night from Cam Johnson either. And then close the show with a little bit of Mikhail Bridges talk, although not quite as optimistic as it usually is. But let's tie into... Um, let, let's let's go back to the, the fouls because that's the big story of the night. You heard at the top of the show Devin Booker discussing... His thoughts of, of how little respect that he gets. Um, look, we all see it, right? We all see that Devin Booker, over the course of his career and and even this year, has not does not get the level of call that that most star scorers like him get. And credit to him, there was a, a point right before the All Star break, he got ejected from that Lakers game where I felt like it was a real a crossroads for him of how much he was going to let it affect his season. And again, credit to him. He didn't let it do that, right? He clearly is frustrated, right? He we know it's obvious watching this guy that he is frustrated with this. There have not it's not as if there have not been games where it has come back. He has fouled trouble consistently. That's that's just a fact of life for him with how physically he plays on both ends of the floor, how competitive he is, how emotionally he plays. And so it just was a decision, I think, on his part to not let it uh, get in the way. However, the problem is still there. And I'll get into the numbers of of backing up whether or not um, the Suns do indeed get some of these 
problematic called situations um, in terms of, you know, not not getting the benefit of the doubt, as simple as that sounds. That that just is what it is. And I'll get into some of that, but the problem is still there, right? The problem, one problem is that Devin Booker tends to let these calls get to him. The other problem is that he plays himself into situations, and it's not just him. I do want to zoom out a little bit. It's the team. There is uh, a certain way that they play where it's uh, easier. They have not earned the respect. They're a young team. It's easier to uh, just give the call to the other team. I, I just think it's a certain cockiness, confidence that the Suns play with. It's the way that they play physically on defense, that they... Um, you know, set a lot of screens on offense, and they're just all high IQ players. So <laughs> the negative side of that can be that you think you know better, right? And so that's the other problem, is that the Suns get into these foul situations more often than they should. And then again, Devin Booker in particular tends to react to it. So credit to him. He did not react too strongly tonight. That kept in check. He didn't get ejected. He kept coming out and, and giving it another try with the foul trouble and then getting into situations again where he ended up fouling. So I'm going to say that that's still an issue. And it's something where if you're thinking about the playoffs, the fact that Devin Booker does not seem to have the respect of the referees at the level of other all-star caliber elite scoring players, elite NBA stars is going to rear its head in the playoffs. I don't see a way that it wouldn't, right? So that problem is still there. There's also the matter then of is it right or wrong? So we have, he's very much made the the, the laudable decision to not let it get to him, and that doesn't seem to be as much of a problem anymore. The problem does still exist of getting these fouls and getting into these situations like when Jason, when he fouled Jason Tatum, one of the defensive fouls on the night that that you can say was was legit, right? There should not be a situation where Devin Booker is having to defend James Jason Tatum in that type of a situation. Now, I get you you play the game, right? You don't just get to decide that all of that stuff in advance, but that's a situation where um, bail your teammate out, help if you can, and then when you can't, as bad as it is. Devin Booker has to give up that layup to Tatum. He just has to. And so that's where some of that competitiveness and everything else starts to, to be a negative. The problem of if it's correct or not is not solvable by the Suns, but it's worth getting into. So here's those numbers that I said for you guys. On, this, on the part of Booker in particular, he is career low basically but since that rookie year where his game was very different in free throws per game free throw rate which is the proportion of his shots that are free throws compared to like field goal attempts uh everything you look at he is down on the other hand he is down in terms of fouls that he commits per game too or or at least in line with last year depending on what number you're looking at so that's not so much of an issue but you zoom out and you look at the team and the problem seems pretty legitimate. So um, team free throw attempts per 100 possessions. And a lot goes into this, right? The Suns take a lot of threes. They have their two primary scorers, don't attack the rim. They mostly jump are jump shooters, right? Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So a lot of things, 
affect this. They don't have their their number one scoring option on the inside. DeAndre Ayton does not draw a lot of fouls. So there's a lot that goes into it. But the Suns are 18.8 free throw attempts per 100 possessions as a team. That is 29th in the NBA. Only the Chicago Bulls are lower. I'm just stating that. I know a ton of things go into it, but it's it's useful to look at, at it sometimes. So then you go to Suns fouls per game. How many fouls do the Suns get called for per game? 19.6. Okay, then let's switch over. How many fouls do Suns opponents get called for? And it is 18.3. So in that case, opponents are not getting called for a lot of fouls, right? The Suns are getting called for about one extra foul per game compared to their opponent, 1.3. So one, almost two. That That's just statistical evidence, right? Okay, team uh, opponent free throw attempts per game uh, per 100 possessions is 22. So again, the Suns are at 18.8. Their opponents are at 22. That's three and a half more free throw attempts on average per 100 possessions by Suns opponents. So their opponents are getting to the line more often benefiting from those foul calls more than the Suns are game to game and being called for less fouls than the Suns are game to game. Obviously, those those stats are connected. You can obviously extrapolate how that would be related to one another, but the numbers back that up. So maybe not with Devin Booker specifically, but the Suns generally uh, do seem to get a tight whistle relative to their opponent. So I think that that's not the most clean evidence of of anything, but it at least backs up that this is not made up, right? So that's the right or wrong thing. The Suns can't change what the referees are going to do, and they just have to hope game to game in the playoffs that they're not beholden to that, right? That it doesn't come at a, a late second moment or none of their players are in foul trouble and, and have to adjust to that. But that's what happens in these games. So I don't think it's a problem that's going away. I credit Devin Booker for moving on quickly, but it's it's not it's not getting better for the Suns. And there is a lot of evidence that it's reasonable for them to be so caught up with it. So you just want to have a big enough lead where that stuff doesn't hurt you. Play well enough game to game that you're not beholden to those refs, but that's easier said than done. So another game where the Suns really got the short end of the stick there. A lot of other things went wrong though, namely Kemba Walker. We'll get into that in just a second, break down more of this game. But first, a quick word from our friends at Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Happy, thrilled rather, to let you know, let you in on a secret, which is that the coconut brownie chunk that I've been dreaming up and talking about constantly on this show is available for sale. Yes, the best protein bar that I've ever had released their best flavor and you can buy it. Just like all of the Bilt Bars, it is covered in 100% chocolate. It's soft and easy to chew. It is low sugar and low calorie while being high protein. So it's perfect for keto or any other diet that you are on. And best of all, these ones, they have little brownies in them. Yeah, that's it. That's a simple, it's the biggest sell I have. Tastes like coconut, has brownie chunks inside of it. Really tastes like an Almond Joy with brownie, if you're into that type of thing. Trust me, it's delicious. Go to BuiltBar.com right now, guys. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. 
Moving on to Kemba Walker and the Jay Crowder ripple effects. We'll get into those two big bullet points from this game in just a sec, but I wanted to quickly remind you guys, this year the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with The Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get an insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and The Draft Network's national experts by subscribing to the Locked On NFL YouTube page and watch every day of three live days of coverage of the NFL Draft, April 29th, through May 1st. Should be a great show, guys. Really, check it out. We're doing a lot of stuff, video, audio podcasts, everything on the NFL side of the network. So Cardinals fans, buckle up. If you're just a big NFL fan, college football fan, check this stuff out. It's going to be great. Okay. So Kemba Walker. Um, I'm not going to make too big of a fuss about this. I mean, Kemba was due for a big night. I'm honestly hopeful. Yes, it sucks that it came against the Suns, of course, but I'm hopeful this can turn the season around because Boston's a fun team. I think they have more promise than they've performed up to this year. I think if they can get healthy, if Kemba can get right, if Marcus Smart can get right, that's still a team I'm excited to watch in the playoffs out east. And fortunately, look, the Suns don't have to play them again. So who cares what they do the rest of the way? So some of it was that, I think. It's just a guy who's struggled all year. Finally, the lid came off of the, the basket for him and he was able to get it going, especially as a scorer. And that's the one thing I think you want to look at here, right? So we have we, we all, I think it's fair to say, maybe overreacted to the Suns losing to Brooklyn and to Charlotte because the two guys on those teams were just destroying DeAndre Ayton in switches. Um, Lamella Ball, James Harden, drawing Ayton into a switch, attacking, getting to the basket, beating Ayton off the bounce, getting him to foul, all these mistakes he was making. Very much a sky-is-falling moment for DeAndre Ayton's season. And I think now is a time to kind of look at what's going on here the other direction, which is that the Suns in this game did not switch because there's no sense in doing that against a player like uh, a pick-and-roll situation with Kemba Walker and Tristan Thompson. doesn't really benefit you to switch that, right? Necessarily as your default. But, you know, we saw that the Suns we're dropping DeAndre Ayton, which is their basic, their base defense. We that's that's how they want to play, and until they have to really change things. And Kemba, I, I think they did that because Kemba's been playing so poorly. He has not been a threat in the same way that he usually is, and so they didn't adjust quickly enough, right? They they it was it was too late. Kemba had done too much damage. I believe he had 19 points in the first quarter, or I'm sorry, first half alone. And there was a big lead for Boston at that point. It was already 53 to 37. So it, it, that, it, it's, not, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to say that that's the end of the game because Kemba did that in the first half and Boston was up 16. The Suns obviously got back into it, cut the lead to single digits on a couple of occasions. But you can't let yourself get into that big of a hole. And the reason that they did is because they decided we're going to go under. We're going to dare Kemba, who has not been very effective on offense, has not been the shot maker we're used to. We're going to make him beat us off the bounce. And he did it, right? So it's the inverse of those ball and Harden blowups where that was big playmakers who can take DeAndre Ayton on and beat him. Kemba was punishing a different sort of defense, that drop coverage, and it was equally intense. So I think all the lesson that needs to be learned there is that you have to be ready to, to adjust moment to moment, right? This I want to give you guys the lessons that this team can learn from this road trip, and to me, that's 
that's the big one from tonight is the, the referee's stuff, sure, but also you don't want to get into a situation where a guy has done so much damage to you by the time you adjust that you're already behind the eight ball and, and likely to lose the game. And so it's also different from those Hornets and Nets games because that was late in the game. That was the Suns adjustment. <laughs> you know, they were switching because other stuff had not worked as well or because of the lineup that was out there or whatnot. So the fact that this happened right from the opening tip, I wish I I think we should have seen a quicker adjustment. And so hopefully the next time that the Suns play a guy like this, they do. It could happen as soon as the first round of the playoffs with Portland. Uh, Damian Lillard is, is not going to allow you to go under on screens and drop your big man. He's going to rain from deep without any hesitation. So that's just a, an immediate example of when we could see this again. Let's move to Jay Crowder, though, who did not start, did not play in this game, was deemed out right away. So uh, we don't know exactly what the length will be on that. They do have two off days on the East Coast now until Sunday's matinee tip against the Nets. So that should help Crowder. I don't know if we should expect to see him. I said yesterday, just talking about it, guys, that I don't see the sense in rushing him back. Maybe you come, you try to have the goal be that he's back, uh, misses exactly a week, and he's back for the Clippers game on the 28th, which is next Wednesday. That's a home game. You get a day at home on Tuesday to maybe get in for treatment Wednesday morning for shoot around and, and treatment and then try to get them in on Wednesday. That That's just my, my working expectation. We'll have to see how it goes. But the ripple effect here was a couple things. First, Cam Johnson started and it was not pretty. Um, just missed shots. I mean, he was confident. He did what he needed to do. He filled that role. He was just culprit of complete cold by the sun. 17% from deep, single digit makes, an ugly night, right? So it's tough. It's going to get better. I'm not worried about Cam Johnson. The other ripple effect or or sort of change we saw based on this was Torrey Craig was the first guy off the bench and he got the most minutes off the bench. Another thing I said would happen here, and he's basically the, the only backup who can play the three or the four right now. We didn't see Dario Ayton lineups together. We did see Mikhail Bridges play a crap ton we did not see Frank Kaminsky, so really it meant Mikhail played a ton, Craig played it a lot, a little more than normal, and that brings me to the last one that we saw, which was Langston Galloway getting some first quarter or first half run. I don't remember if it was, I think it was early second quarter, which is interesting because he only played three minutes. I don't really think we saw enough from him. I, I mean, I'm not a head coach, but I don't know if really Monty could have judged much from that three minutes, but he, he did not come back to Galloway in the second half, despite the Suns being down and Booker having foul trouble and, and everything else. So we'll have to see. I kind of wonder if we might see each one more or Frank Kaminsky in place of Galloway in the next game. Uh, the Knicks obviously or the Nets play small a little bit more than the Knicks, and then the Knicks play big, relatively speaking. So maybe we do see a little bit of a carousel back there. Galloway did not seem to pass the test here, and I think they could use some more size. So Moore can can sort of play the two and the three in a pinch, and he can handle the ball. He's a little more versatile, a little bit better defensively. And then Kaminsky, obviously, is more of a traditional big man. Not a perfect substitute for what Crowder does by any means, but he's at least a four. He's somebody who 
plays the four decently well with DeAndre Ayton and can just give you some minutes. So that would be my guess. I don't think we see Galloway in the next game. I would think we would see Kaminsky or more or both. And who knows? Maybe it's good. Give them a little bit of a refresh prior to the um, playoffs. We haven't seen those guys in a while because Javon Carter's been playing pretty well and campaign has been playing pretty well, Torrey Craig. So that'll be an opportunity for those guys to get some run. Probably their last real stint, assuming Crowder comes back soon before the playoffs. So interesting there. I would expect Cam Johnson to play better the next game and we might see some different faces off the bench. All right, guys, let's close the game. Uh, close, close the game. Let's close the show with Mikhail Bridges' breakout watch, which hit a little bit of a bump in the road. And I want to talk about confidence as it pertains to Bridges and what we should be looking for as we head to the playoffs and what this game taught us within that. We'll do that right after another quick break. Closing the show out with some Mikhail Bridges talk, our Bridges breakout watch. For those of you new to the show, that is pretty much a standard on these post-game podcasts is you're going to hear me rant in one direction or the other about Mikhail Bridges. Tonight it's a little bit negative, so bear with me here. I won't, I won't dig in too hard, but I do think it's worth, uh, it's worth doing the bad with the good, right? So we'll get into that in a second. A quick reminder first, though, to check out the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from NFL experts like Michael Irvin, Jason LaConfora, and Brian Baldinger, as well as our local experts for every team making trades and picking the next stars for their franchise. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Cool, guys. Let's do this. Let's do this, Mikhail Bridges watch. Um, I sounded Italian for a second there. Let's do this. I don't know. I can't do it again. 15 points, one of nine from three, no free throws, only two rebounds, which is weird. No, no blocks, one steal, a weak box score performance, especially considering that Mikhail Bridges played 45 minutes in this game. Um, should not be that quiet of a night. And we saw him and, and Eddie Johnson, who is awesome with this type of stuff in particular, was noting just a rushed release from Mikhail Bridges. Not the hitch we've talked about, none of that. It wasn't related to that. It was just nerves. It was, oh my God, we're down really big and we need to make this happen. We need to get back in this game. We should not lose this game. We're better than Boston. And, you know, you saw him not gathering very well, especially on those corner attempts, just tossing stuff up, really, really errant, not very accurate night for Mikhail Bridges. And I'm not going to read again. I'm not going to read too much into Cam going 0 of 6. I'm not going to read too much into Mikhail going 1 of 9 because there's going to be games where he goes 6 of 9, right? So it's fine in the grand scheme of, of the season and his, his kind of my thoughts on him as a shooter and all of that stuff. I'm not worried about any of that. What I am thinking about a little bit more, though, when we talk about Mikhail Bridges in this game is that he is going to need to be consistent offensively. I'm getting more and more sure of that because the opportunities aren't always going to be there for DeAndre Ayton. We know that the offense can get bogged down and turnover prone when they go out of their way to feed DeAndre Ayton, when they go out of their way to feed anybody, right? Except for maybe Devin Booker. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be DeAndre Ayton. Cam Johnson is getting there, but I don't think as far as a creator that he's really that guy. Dario Saric is in a black hole right now, and 
I don't even have new thoughts on him. He's not somebody you can count on right now. So I'm more and more feeling like it's going to need to be Mikhail Bridges. And guys, listen, when if you listen to Monty Williams talk, whether you see a video, whether you watch the postgame show and, and they play a clip, whatever it is, you'll start to hear he's been sneaking it in there recently when he's talking about the offensive guys that the Suns need to count on. He, Monty, will talk, he'll say, we really need, and then it used to be, or or it's good to have, or whatever, he used to have Booker and Paul as the duo when he would say that sentence. He has started to add Mikhail Bridges in there, and I don't think that that's an accident. Not so much from a PR purpose, like he's trying to get people like me to, to tell you guys about it. More so, I think the intentionality there is, He's thinking of Mikhail that way more than anything. That's what it reveals to me is that he genuinely considers Mikhail as a consistent nightly impact player on the offensive end, or at least one that's needed to be that, right? So I agree. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty plain to me that that's what's going to need to happen because you're seeing that he can can operate, get to that, that mid-range pull-up. That's been all season now. Um, he He's incredible leaking out in transition it's it's really crazy to see a guy who can he can affect the game on the glass he's such a good defender who's all over the floor and he has the timing to leak out that's so hard because some of the guys who are famous for leaking out I think Corey Brewer is the one I always think of he got criticized because he would give up on defensive possessions he wasn't ever on the boards he never was uh you know making up ground and closing out and doing all these things on defense because he was trying to get transition buckets right mikhail can do all of that so that's huge uh you also obviously see him cutting and spacing the floor making threes all that stuff he's a role player of course he's not going to go out there and run 10 pick and rolls a game this season wait, wait and see i'm not i'm not saying no to anything with him But this season, that's not going to be his role. It's just going to be filling in all those different areas and getting to about 15 points a game, 15 to 20. That's what you're going to need from him. And he got to 15 today. It was a very inefficient uh, 15. He was, though, 6 of 7 from 2, courtesy of a bunch of Chris Paul dimes. But that's going to need to be his impact. Imagine if he had made his threes tonight. The game probably would look really, really different. So that consistency is really important. I'm not saying that the weirdness with his release is like the the impetus for me to suddenly be worried. All I'm saying is that you see in a game like this where Aiton's quiet, Cam's not really effective, Dario Saric is, is nowhere. Well, it needed to be Bridges, and he did show up a little. He needed to show up more, and I think this game could have looked different. It's a lot to ask because this guy's already so, so integral to their defense, but for them to get really to the upper tiers of the NBA and make a real run, Mikhail's going to need to be pretty much equally important on offense as well. So something to monitor. Keep an eye on it. How well does he perform game to game? He cannot disappear. He cannot have these 0 of 2 nights because the way that this team is shaping up, they're going to need to rely on him. And he's getting so much better that he can handle that. It's not asking too much, I don't think. It's just asking a lot, (laughs) which is what... I guess everybody on this team is facing right now as we get get toward the end of the season and to crunch time of the of the year. All right, guys, don't hang your head on this loss. It's fine. I'll be back Monday breaking down the Nets game with Brandon, aka Zona, on our usual Monday show. So be ready for that. We'll have the Knicks game after that, and 
before long, guys, we're, we're heading toward the playoffs. Some big ones next week as well, though. Jazz and Clippers again. I'll be at both of those home games. Maybe you will too. But enjoy the weekend, everybody, and talk to you on Monday.